Hello, I'm Philip Stoughton from my house to yours. Welcome to this edition of EMS at Sea Level. I am joined by Elke Eckstein from Enix. Elke, great to see you. Thank you so much for taking the time to chat. Um, we were talking off camera before we started. It's just been a roller coaster of a year, and we don't seem to be getting off the roller coaster anytime soon. Give me a kind of a snapshot of um, of of where you feel you are right now with Enix and with the with the industry. How how are things going? How are you coping? I think we sailed quite nicely through the COVID crisis to keep our people safe, to protect our business. And we managed to do a lot of changes within Enix. Some are driven by the external changes from the industry. Some we have decided to optimize ourselves. And I can speak about that a little bit more in detail. So right now, continuing the, the COVID crisis, we were clearly now impacted also by this component crisis that mm. is now determining the industry. And, and that is quite a whirlwind that is that is happening out there because there is such a big allocation, such a big shortage that all mm. the industries are impacted. But I'm quite happy that we are running and, and dedicated to the industrial segments, industrial electronics, because that is more stable than other industries. For example, mm. automotive industry is far more challenged right now as we are. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's that's been a big saving grace. The automotive industry went went down to close to nothing, but it rose really quickly. And I think that kind of didn't help at all with respect to the with the component shortages. Where do you see do you see any light at the end of the tunnel? Do you see any improvement? Is it just are we just surviving day to day? How long do you think this is going to take? Yeah, so when the component crisis came in, we really went into a firefighting mode. Mm. We, we improved our processes. We improved how we work with the customer, we, how, we worked with, how we work with the suppliers. And we get more stable. So we see a lot of improvement internally in Annex. Mm -hmm. From the outside, the crisis is continuing. I see some silver lining. I think it will still happen or still be very tight until the first half through the first half of next year until the second half mm -hmm. of next year. But then I think it will, will easen up slowly, but we will have better second half next year than the first half will be. Yeah. It will be still constrained because when we only look into our order book and in the order books of the industry, it just doubled up and there is such a high demand that it needs to easen out slowly then yeah. over the next year. Yeah, it will take time. And you've, as you say, you've taken various measures. You've you've uh, appointed a new chief procurement officer uh, or chief purchasing officer to your organisation. Have they made many changes? Has that has that helped? Yeah. So the the reason why we brought in a new chief procurement officer that was the first or one of the big changes we did was clearly a really handle the current situation more professionally mm -hmm. and, and really focusing on execution, 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 because we have right now more than 100 people only working on this allocation situation. But the second reason why we brought a new a professional CPO in is because we have big plans going forward and Enix is developing to be 
we, we always call it uh, moving up the value chain to be a turnkey mm -hmm. solution provider. Today, we still have 80% in our so-called MS business. But moving forward, we want to be the turnkey solution provider, the service provider of mm -hmm. choice. Therefore, we need new competencies. We need to move into a new business model. And that is the second part of this new CPO's task to really well, pull Enix into this new way of working for the yeah. future. Yeah. And the second and big that... change is we have, I have yeah. another officer coming in now just last month, and we call it Chief Business Officer uh -huh. with Michael Capello. We, we just hired him, and he's also an industry veteran with a lot of sales and business background and experience. And he is now working with our industrial segments, mm -hmm. A to enable the growth going forward, which industry are we going in, what are our industrial strategies, but also working with the key account people to optimize our internal processes. Yeah, yeah. And I think it's really interesting what you talk about there. They're, they're absolutely critical roles. But the idea that you shift that position in the value chain, I think is really important. It's a trend we're seeing. Um, and I sometimes think the term EMS is just is just not appropriate for where we're going. There's a new partnership developing between brands, particularly brands that don't have their own manufacturing footprint, but have very bold global ambitions. And you're able to support them all the way through the product lifecycle. Do you see that as a fundamental shift in the industry? Yeah, definitely. I, I see our competitors uh, in the future, the ODMs. And, and here I can also use the automotive example that really the, the car manufacturers are seeking support from the EMS companies mm. to really develop these electronic models, modules which were out of reach in, in the past. And I see it for us anyhow, but also driven by, by COVID crisis that the speed is taking up that we develop more services, that we increase our offerings and, and the mm. OEMs, they want to deal with their core know-how in, in the future more than ever. Yeah, and, uh, and the, uh, the, the manufacturing industry having some skills, some intellectual property, some skin in the game makes them much closer partners. Okay, one of the things that I find really fascinating is we're working really hard to, to make those partnerships really close at the moment. But we're in this unique situation where there's a huge amount of stress in that relationship caused by this component crisis. It's, it's you know, it's changing the price of, of, of what, we're, what we're putting in as materials. It's putting pressure on work in progress. It's putting pressure on inventory uh, and on cash flow. How important is it to have those very collaborative, very communicative relationships with your OEMs right now? Well, that is absolutely, absolutely key that, that we work as a team together. So I always see myself as running the supply chains for my customers and, and being the long arm for, for their manufacturing. So it is extremely important to align on priorities, to align on the whole supply chain, what is happening, especially in allocation times. So what, what we try to do is we try to really organize the supply chain. We try to, or we are proposing alternative parts where we are in mm. allocation. So really trying to make the life easier for our customers. 
Yeah. I mean, I say trying, I mean, we are doing it. We are quite successful in that. And I think that is also one of our USPs that we work very close with the customers and that we have the know-how, the right people, the right competences to propose changes to the customer. Yeah. Yeah. And I think, as you say, talent and the skill set and the number of people that you have in that process is, is, is testament to that. And that, that's, your commitment to that is very clear. What I'm curious about is does digital transformation also play a role in this? Is there are there is there a requirement to digitize the supply chain so you do have more more speed, more agility, more real-time data? Yeah, yeah, definitely. So when I talk about NX strategy, we have put a, a three-step strategy in place. And the first one was really optimizing the performances, building the fundament. We called it back then, back to basics, really mm-hmm. having the right capacity in the right place and the right performances, like qualities, like efficiencies, all this. The second pass is being and building the capability to be the turnkey solution provider. And here, one of the big strings is digitalization, because when you are a service provider, you need to have a pervasive supply chain. You need to have this platform where you can be a data-driven company for yourself to react fast, but also for the customer, that the customer mm-hmm. has direct access to the data that is generated in this whole let's say manufacturing, but also service process. So here we have a very strong agenda. Yeah, and you have that data that's driving your business intelligence, but also driving your customers' business intelligence in terms of you know, what they can do with the product launch, what they can ramp in terms of, of volumes. Rather than just talking about crisis the whole time, which seems to have been the, <laughs> been the, the theme of the last, the last 12 months, um, I do feel we're in quite a nice position in Europe in terms of having a bit of a manufacturing renaissance. And I know part of that is because people are concerned about the length of supply chains, particularly um, with respect to Asia. Enix is in this interesting position where you are um, headquartered in Europe. You have a lot of capacity in Europe. You also have capacity in Asia. What are you seeing in terms of of demand shift from, from different geographies. Yeah, so I clearly see the trend for regionalization that also enhanced by the COVID crisis to get the supply chains into into a risk-free operational modus. And it will be more region for region manufacturing for Asia, for Europe. So Mm. that is what we see. So I see a a big shift towards Europe of our European-based global manufacturers. But but mm-hmm. you said it, we are in the nice position that we are organized in regions and that we have the whole supply chain in, in these regions already. So for us, it works, works quite nicely. And yeah. even during the crisis, we have done a lot of uh, restructuring or relocation of, of our capacity. So we moved our Beijing factory into new facilities. We extended our Suzhou factories. Um, we built Zhou Malaysia factory. We are filling it right now. And this all in, in Asia has happened during the crisis. We have never seen these factories, these new mm. factories from, from the headquarter. And I hope traveling will be possible quite soon. But now we are also talking about 
let's say, optimizing the European footprint. We are reshuffling the capacities within Europe. We are currently building or planning to build another Eastern European factory based on mm -hmm. this increased demand right now. So lots of topics ongoing and, and all targeting grows, grows, grows yeah. going forward. Yeah. Yeah, and I think that makes sense. And it's really interesting when you talk about the regionalization because you do have a, a footprint in Asia. Is Are you seeing a lot of uh, an increase in demand in Asia? Um, so, you know, manufacturing in China for, for, for Chinese brands and, and specifically for the Chinese consumer yeah. market? Yeah, definitely. And that is A, driven by the growth of our customers, but our strategy is always that we address new industries there and that we really drive this region for region or China for China also with local customers. Mm. And then these are two strings we are pursuing there. Yeah. And when you look at the different, the different environments you're manufacturing in, clearly some of them are what we would traditionally think of as higher wage cost environments and some are lower wage cost environments. Are you able to level that out a bit more with with strategies around auto automization and uh, autonomy and you know more business intelligence more process intelligence yeah i mentioned digitalization before that is one key driver the second part is automation that goes into it that is also quite clear so we are relocating now many products many customers also into into optimized costs let me Call it like this and then in, in both whether it's Asia or Europe you always need to have a high degree of automation to cope with really the cost pressure that is in the industry. Yeah and as you expand up the uh, across the value chain we obviously start to look at you know kind of beyond the manufacturing process on both sides so those very close relationships in terms of of design but also with respect to reverse logistics and the end of life when you're when you're looking at those do you position those and locate those in the in the geography where the innovation and the consumers are or do you look at also you know eastern europe asia lower cost environments for those well i think i talked about the manufacturing locations and that will be continuing where we are right now mm -hmm. with china with Malaysia, then Eastern Europe, definitely North and South Europe. But then when we talk about this value at like turnkey operations, we have one design center in Oulu here in Finland, far, mm -hmm. in, far in the north. That is where we always have been and we are just extending right now our operations there. And that is quite successful because Oulu has very good education, very good universities there. And, and that is our core right now. The next plan is to do exactly the same in China. We have started out with that. And depending on how fast do we get projects in, we are staffing the team and bringing the know-how and, and the capabilities there. Mm -hmm. So there will be also in this turnkey offerings, China for China or Asia for Asia and Europe for Europe with one yeah. core team. Yeah, it, I mean, it, it makes perfect sense, doesn't it? And that's how you you build relationships with those global brands because you can help them in in the regions in which they're in in which they're operating. So that's yeah, that's definitely, exciting. definitely, yeah. and it's quite successful because the know how is there, the the service offerings are there. So that is that is yeah. quite good. It seems to be yeah, and you have the blueprint from. Um, 
from uh, from where you are and you can you can repeat that successfully elsewhere i think that's really really important we've talked about the last the last couple of years and it has been disruption one after the other it was the trade wars then the pandemic now the component shortages um let's try and be optimistic about 2022 what are you what are you looking apart from traveling and visiting actually visiting a factory that you built from the ground up in malaysia that's really <laughs> really going to be exciting but what are you particularly looking forward to next year yeah i'm looking forward that we continue with our growth path because it is it is really really exciting to mm. to see this high demand and to fulfill this demand work with the customers work with the suppliers that is for me the, the good pass forward and expanding our capacities, expanding our capabilities, bringing in these digitalized, digitalized offerings. So mm. all our roadmap that we have laid out for me, I think it's a huge change. It's a huge transition for Annex, for the industry completely. Mm. And, and therefore, I think that is, yeah, that is happening. That will be yes. happening next year. Yeah, and it's exciting times ahead. And and I absolutely agree with you. You know, the, a lot has happened to the industry in the last couple of years, and there have been opportunities. You know, we've been locked down at certain times. There have been opportunities to look at how we do business, how we work with our clients, um, how we work with all of the stakeholders in our yeah, business, yeah, yeah. from the from the staff to everybody, everybody else. And it is time for a little bit of a rethink. And I do believe that those people like Enix that are looking forward in a transformative way are the future of this manufacturing industry. And it is those unique partnerships. Yeah, yeah. I, I see that really that the EMS or us yeah, in the future really running like, like a platform idea. And I don't exclude mm. that we even partner up with other EMSs to build these platforms, but we are the ones orchestrating the supply chains and determining really how, how the flow of, of parts is. And then that is the exciting part of it enabled by digitalization. You can mm. really do that. Yeah. And it's the perfect partnership. If you've got, you know, brands that are creating products and they, and they can focus very much on that and all the complexities and all the stresses that relate to the manufacturing process, they can lead to you. And I think, you know, I, I think the companies like yourself embracing that is important, but it's also equally important for the brands to embrace that and understand that it is such a valuable collaborative relationship, not adversarial, that that is going to deliver success for for the brands, for the manufacturers, and for the consumers of the products. And, and, and that is our core business, that we solve problems of our customers and, and, and offer the service for them, clearly, very clearly. Yeah. Well, congratulations on what you've been doing over the last year. And, you know, tough times that you've, you've pushed on and you've not only survived, but you've thrived during that period. So congratulations on that. And, yeah, I look forward to actually being able to fly somewhere and meet with you and maybe visit one or two of your facilities um, in 2022 and hope that our aspirations for the industry actually come true. But in the meantime, thank you so much for your time and thank you for talking to me. Thank you very much.